0: Is Buffs Nation? What is happening? We are back, the Buffs Nation podcast. I didn't even know if we were going to do a show this year, but here we are. No Pac-12 football, but guess what? Every other week, we'll be back for you. I'm Tyler Walgie. He is Jared All to my right. We're finally on YouTube. Everyone gets to see how ugly we are. I know, right? (laughs) Been (laughs) holding this one back for a few years. How you doing?
1: You look great. It's you know it's nice to be back in here. It's been weird. It's been really really weird. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's been uh, well. Look, I mean, everything going on. Obviously, uh, the coronavirus. Sports have 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 taken a weird turn. We're going to talk about how it's impacting CU. How it's impacting the Pac-12 overall. Uh, we're going to get to spring football. Do we move it to spring? Do we want to move the season back? Uh, what could that look like? Really, Big Twelve and SEC. They're playing, man. They're so, going forward. ACC as well. ACC too. Okay. So we'll add that. I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. So we'll talk about the ACC, those three conferences, how that's going to work. And then on today's show, you know we'll talk all the macro stuff and then we'll get into a little bit of recruiting talk, a little bit of Carl Durrell, but folks stay tuned because again, every two weeks we'll be coming out with the show Uh, throughout the season. We're going to have some fun. We'll be talking about this new coaching staff. Well, the new members of the coaching staff, obviously some uh, some of the old coaching staff still here. But we'll talk about these new guys, what we think of Carl Durrell, what we think of his system. I will touch a little bit on that today. And then the recruiting class, you know it's it's a pretty decent recruiting uh, recruiting class so far. We're falling back in the Pac-12, but we'll get to all that. So much to cover. We'll start with the big stuff. Also, one of the welcome Ryan Smith to the show. New producer this year. He'll be making things happen. So, Ryan, what's up? Welcome.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome here. Yeah, man.
0: Good to have you. Good to have you. Appreciate it. And it, it made sense to to bring Ryan on board because. Uh, Ryan's going to be doing some different stuff for Woo's Media altogether. For those who don't know, Woo's Media is the uh, media hub that carries this podcast, along with several other podcasts. So it works because Ryan, uh, you know, he knows college football well, which is what most of the pods are about, and he's been a CU fan his whole life, just like we have. So, it, Ro- it, it, rocking it that works. Bobby
1: Purify today, huh, buddy? <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I bleed black and gold, baby. You know that? No, absolutely, man. It, it, it was cool. So this this studio, we we've been building it over the last what month and a half. And all the decorations to see everything you know, that, that we, we used to set it up. I was going through some of my old newspapers. So, when I was a kid, uh, probably ages around 10 to uh, 14, 15 or so, uh, and for, for you know, those who don't know, I'm 30 years old, turned 31 this year. So, I was, you know, this was 2000 to about 2005. I found so many. Really cool articles that I'd cut out. They're actually back in John Elway Hall back there. I can show them to you guys after the show. But um, it was just really cool. I mean, I had forgotten about most of those. and The articles weren't major. Some of them were just, you know, wins over Kansas or something like that. But, you know, those are the Joel Klatt days. That's when we were competing for Big 12 North titles. And so it was just cool to go through all that stuff. It was kind of emotional, actually. Those were the days, wasn't it, Tyler? I know, oh, man, I you, know. you were born for this, weren't you? You were just
1: destined to be in the media here.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> those were the days, but look, we're gonna get back there eventually. That's what's great about this show, and honestly, that's what's great about college football: is you stick with your teams, you ride with those up and down years. But I thought it was a little emotional, man. First of all, because CU hadn't been good in quite some time, so going back and looking at those, you know, Big tw- really meaningful days, but also, it kind of sucked that. I didn't take better care of those things because, you know, I found them in my garage in, in like a, a a trash bag and they were all mangled up. And I was like, dang, man, like if I would have just, you know, I know I, we all do that, but it it, 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 it kind of, I wish I would have taken better care, but either way, you know, they'll go up in the studio. I, so, I, some I, of those are the best
1: ones anyways, though, because then you, you truly
0: bring back the memories
1: right? of what, what it was and what you did to destroy it along the way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was just
0: an idiot for the, the following 10 years of my life. That's it. When I got into high school, you know, then, then it sort of, it, the, the, the cutting out of articles sort of, you know, stopped. But I want to bring that back, man. It's, it, it was cool looking back at that passion I had for CU as a kid 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And I'm sure this podcast, the great thing about this pod, any CU fan can listen. You don't even have to be in the state of Colorado. You can be young, old, new fan, old fan, and alumni, non alumni. This is meant to be for everybody. And there's one common thing we all have on this show. We all love the buffs. So that's what you know today's show and every other show is gonna be about. But let's start off talking about everything in terms of a macro point of view, the NCAA in general. What I've seen in 2020, obviously it got off to a weird start with with COVID and you know all these sports canceling the NBA, canceling what they were doing. But what I've seen is the NCAA has had months and months to see what other sports are doing. And for those who say NCAA is not a sport, they're amateurs probably not the right show for you um because we i mean not look, for long look i mean i mean first of all not for long but second of all i just think it's so overdue and this is not for today's show this is a this is a topic that could last an entire We're getting show Tyler going on the exactly, wrong right exactly rant here. but but the amateur thing i don't know about that but it, it plays a big deal in this because mark emmert the president of the ncaa has come out multiple times throughout the last couple months and say you know saying we're going to, it's all about player safety. It's all about the, 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 uh, protecting these players, giving them more rights, giving them all the, you know, but they don't want to allow them to make any money by admitting they're not amateurs. So I digress. This is a professional sport. It's the second most popular sport in America. So either way, they had a long time to figure out what to do. And I think they've completely dropped the ball. There were options to play and they waited and waited and waited thinking it'd get better and it didn't. Tyler, they stuck their head in the sand and hoped that everything would be better
1: by the time we got around to that. And it, it, it's just – it's ridiculous to think that we all had conversations in May. And and yeah. I, I know you guys spent a lot of time around other sports fans, casual, passionate, whatever. But every question I feel like I got from people that are that casual sports fan, hey – you think we're playing football in the fall? You think we'll play football in the fall? We were all talking about this, March, April, May, and, and everyone kept thinking, yeah, it got plenty of time, plenty of time to make this happen. So the fact that the NCAA did literally nothing until the middle of July to decide, ah, you know what? I guess we can't open up our camps yet we got to push those back all right we're going to push the season back okay and then from there it's just been reactionary to the pressure from the media to, to everything else And it's it's just crazy to think that like you said one of the biggest sports uh, leagues around did nothing to prepare when they had all well, the evidence well, in
0: front of them of what to do and, and we we are assuming they did nothing maybe they had some talks behind the scenes but the point is what we've seen come to fruition is nothing so no matter what they talked about no matter what they were discussing or what was going to go on nothing's happened And so we're going to go through here in a couple minutes. Do they move it to spring? Do we play spring football? How will that work with the Big 12, SEC, ACC? Because, I mean, well, how do you think they're going to handle it? You know, the the Big 12, SEC, and and, uh, ACC. I mean, is it going to be fine? Is it going to be... Because I think them playing puts a huge... Let me put it this way. I would rather have the Pac-12 make the decision they did... Because if anything happens negatively in the ACC, SEC, or uh, uh, Big 12, it's going to look a lot worse if yes. someone catches COVID than not playing, right? I, I, there's both sides of it. It's like, well, they can laugh at the Pac-12 for sitting out, but I think the risk-reward is far greater you know, in terms of the, the risk that the SEC, ACC, and... and uh, uh, Big 12. Or t- Why the heck can I can not not remember all the conversations? Be- because they don't matter as much as, <laughs> right? as what
1: we're talking here in the Pac-12, at least not for our, our purposes here today, but I, I agree with you there. I think you're going to look back and you, you could either look bad in one way or the other, and I think the Pac-12 took the approach of the, the player safety, the player concerns. I, I'm going to be honest. I think there's a lot more to the idea that the timing works out a little coincidentally that all this, these player movements starts up, the hashtag we are united, a lot of Pac-12 players involved with that. And then all of a sudden, within a matter of a few days after that, the, the, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, they pull the plug on it. I think they saw, you know, yes, you're going to lose a lot of money this year by not playing, but you could potentially lose a lot more for decades if you're getting lawsuits, if you're having any sort of breakout like that, where these, again, amateur athletes, not professionals that are getting paid to go out there. The NFL, you want your paycheck, you show up and play. That's it. College athletes... To say that to, to force those kids out there and say that you won't have your scholarship if you don't show up and play, which I know there's been some you know backpedaling on some of those things, but. I think the Pac-12 saw the potential dollars and cents in the future that could devastate these programs, and they said, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm getting out of here.
0: Did you see what the wonderful new head coach at the terrible rival school up north did? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you surprised? No, no surprise whatsoever. Oh, my God. How CSU can they get, man? First of all. A bottom feeder program. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and getting an a, a old washed-up coach to come over. Look, Carl Durrell... How many exciting things about this guy, right? I mean, he, he he's a product of Colorado. He knows the, the school well. I think he's got a lot up his sleeve for what we're gonna see. Steve Adazio's is a dinosaur, man. This dude's still running the rock, and you stop the run, and that's how we're winning. Like, like first of all, he gets into CSU, doesn't do anything to associate with the boosters or the school in general, right? He's all Steve Adazio, and then my favorite thing—I don't know if we can pull up his uh, the Steve Adazio. Uh, twitter burner account because either here's the one or two scenarios either a csu fan who loves steve adazio and knows steve adazio so well started an account in defense of the head coach or and i think this is the much more likely option steve Azio created a burner account not knowing how the heck to create a burner account you know <laughs> and he's totally messing it up and yeah guys do this all the time we know that uh, you know
1: athletes coaches everyone does it they, they, they create that burner account to be able to throw out things whether, whether it's something that's maybe a little too uh, too far out there that they wouldn't want to put on their own account or something like what Steve Adazio is doing which is basically coming to the defense of himself but come on could you be any more right. obvious <laughs> and
0: <laughs> Ryan go down thing. just a little bit scroll just a little bit down I think it has some <laughs> examples of some of the tweets he sent because he's saying things like, and, and I promise this will probably be all the CSU talk for weeks. But he he he's people will post things about Steve Adazio or about the program, and he'll say, uh, Please don't po- uh, say things about Steve Adazio. Ryan, scroll up. There's one right there. Yeah. Mike, thank you for the kind comments about Coach Adazio's character. I know that Steve Adazio uh, appreciates fans like you from BC. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like, how obvious can you get? I mean, don't you go on Twitter all the time and tell people how no. much you care about no. their, their having somebody's character? I'm not going to lie. The
0: whole burner account thing, it kind of crossed my mind once. And, and I actually didn't think it was a good idea at first, but it's once uh, Kevin Durant got caught with the burner account defending himself. I was like, huh, like, do people do that as that a thing? I think it's a huge thing. Yeah, I do too. I'm a believer that about oh, that over 60% of Twitter profiles are just fake. Yeah, it's completely fake. They're burners, they're Russian, they're they're Chinese accounts.
2: Who who ends their uh, Twitter post with, thanks, depressed
0: fans? <laughs> if that doesn't say the state of the CSU nation. Huh? I'm sadly Colorado State. Fo- all right, here's the, here's the uh, letter to Deadspin. Uh, howdy, Deadspin. I am sadly a Colorado State football fan. Isn't that how they all start their sentences, man? Isn't that how it all starts for them? Good God. I am sadly a Colorado State football fan. Yes, At you are. At least they're honest. And they have had their fair share of nonsense and BS the last few days. Starting with allegedly telling players not to share COVID symptoms, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And today, having uh, racial allegations brought against the staff, both are horrible accusi- accusations. But Steve Adazio has had quite a trail of being a, a P.O.S. We're gonna we're gonna censor this for the for the kids out there. It goes on to say, however, I am not sure if people would find this interesting, but I believe I stumbled onto the finding of his burner account on Twitter, and it's pretty funny. So that's how this all came to be. Deadspin learned about it, wrote an article about it, and it's hysterical. Old dude, not knowing how to use Twitter. He's going to make a burner account stand up for himself. Swing and a miss, Steve Adazio. Swing and a miss. So that's hysterical on itself. But the the the... The real story, in my opinion, is they're telling players to cover up COVID symptoms. If you have them, don't tell anyone. Uh, you're not allowed to sit practice out. We better not hear a peep coming out of you. This is the old school mentality that got them fired from Boston College, right? You have to adapt. I believe in in you know good coaches sticking to what got them there, right? But adapting adaptability is probably one of the biggest things in 2020. Right? You have to be able to keep up with what's going on socially, with these kids, with their parents. It's much more than just X's and O's, and he's failing so far. So Yeah, I mean, going to the extent of
1: threatening kids' scholarships and things like that, I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Again, it's amazing.
0: How CSU of them. All right, we're moving on. No more CSU talk. That was – it just makes me sick bringing them up, you know, but – I don't know. I quite enjoy actually talking smack throughout the show. We could keep yeah, right. going there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We don't play them this year and I always love beating the heck out of little brother you know it's what, always fun
1: now th- they were they actually on the schedule or was this one of the first years I know they're there's coming up
0: it was it was getting pulled that this, game. this
2: this was the first year at their new stadium
0: oh that's right yeah we go we were gonna go up to Fort Collins and embarrass them man disappointing so disappointing. We can, we can still make that happen just do an exhibition game huh yeah a lot of question marks with, with both teams. And as I said, you know, stay tuned next couple of weeks, we'll dive into I know next time, in, in a few weeks, we'll talk about the quarterback situation, because for the first time in forever, CU doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be, but I digress. All that stuff is interesting, but let's get off of the Rams, back to the buffs. Um, well, actually, let, let's kind of stick with what's going on nationally, because I think that what's uh, a very probable scenario uh, is they're going to move a lot of these games to spring, or at least they're talking about moving them to spring. Now, I have some pros and cons. If you were to move the season to spring, let's talk about some of them and kind of go through the list here. This article I'm referring to is called What a Spring College Football Season Could and Should Look Like. It is from ESPN.com. Now, let's start talking about the negatives, okay? Let's start talking about the reasons. Should we do that or should we start positive? Let's, let's start. A, there's off a lot a good more game. negative. I there think, are. So but let's, let's, let's let's hear the positive. Yeah. Let's start I, things curious to know the
1: positives yeah. we're going to pull out of this. I don't yeah. see a lot of them myself. I, I think this is going to be a struggle, especially when you get half of the half of the major leagues still
0: playing to play in the fall. It makes right. it so difficult. Um, so I mean, the, these are uh, not necessarily all positives, but ways that you could make it work in the spring. Uh, the first thing is keep the schedules as they are and simply move them to spring, right? There's 14 Saturdays between January 31st and May 2nd. So start January 31st, begin the postseason, college ball playoff, whatever, uh, in early May. So that would be option number one. You keep the schedules the exact same and move it. I mean, initially, does anything push back there? Because as we get into some barriers, it might. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly some dates and some things that go on. One of the biggest things, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on this as we
1: start to get to the cons, is draft-eligible players. There's there's a whole process that draft-eligible players go through with the, the uh, All-Star games and the uh, draft prep and the combine and things like that. So I know there is some flexibility, some ability for the draft to be moved within the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL, but that's obviously the first concern. You tell me we're playing up to May, the draft is usually in April.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it, for, for players who have a shot of being drafted, it would mess things up for them. I think
1: a majority of those guys, I think you're going to see guys that are first, second, third-round guys are not going to end up playing so, in that scenario.
0: So, obviously just doing a regular schedule through May may be a little difficult, right? They may have to whittle things down just a bit. This is more idealistic, I think, right? Keeping it exactly yeah. as is. And I think had things back. all
1: of the major conferences as a whole decided to move to spring and maybe, and, and that's still not off the table, guys. I know that the, 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 the three power five conferences are still saying this is going to happen, but guess what? So is the Pac-12 until the day they pulled the plug. So it's
0: not yeah, out of the question to still move everything forward. But don't you think, and we're not going to make this political, but don't you think that where you're located geographically has a lot to do with this? I mean, if I look around and see areas of the country who are wearing masks and really, you know, supporting this whole thing, or, and, and again, we're not going this political at all, but I believe that there's just, it's easier yes. for teams in ACC land, SEC land. You look at the Pac 12, you've got schools in. Uh, Utah, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Oregon. Oregon. Northern California. <laughs> this is the center of yes. a lot of this stuff. So for yeah. the Pac-12, you can see how they get to that explanation or how, the, how they get to that conclusion. The SEC, I mean, th- dude, they're going to need a lot, I think, to go wrong if and, they're going to And cancel. even they're take gonna- the politics out of it, Tyler. And to me, them folk
1: in the South, they love their football. Yeah, and I yeah. think the idea of taking that away I could not imagine having to be the person to announce that.
0: <laughs> right. You want to talk about all the negativity
1: all right. people get on social media. Wouldn't want to be the
0: one leaking that <laughs> news. <laughs> all right. The next option here would be go back to the original eight or nine game conference schedule. So you, s- you use the same uh, general timeline with some bye weeks built in there, but you know it's pretty straightforward. Same eight-game schedule, let's say, in conference. Everyone's playing the same eight games, and then you decide, you know, uh, playoffs or, or whatever you want to do, do from that point on. So pretty much the same idea. You're just whittling it down in terms of the schedule and it's heavy on the eight-game uh, conference schedule. So it's another idea. I think you it's know. a little more realistic, the idea of cutting it down. I do
1: think that that you do need to look at this is going to be a shortened season, r- regardless of whether you're playing in the fall or the spring. Just to have, what, 16, 18 weeks worth of football, it, right. that's
0: going to be tough to get squeezed in. So to, to cut it down four or five weeks, I think, would be smart. This is... Depressing. We're talking about this, man. I mean, I just want to play some football. I just want to watch some football. That's all I want to do. All right. Uh, This is where it gets interesting. Have division only play followed by a conference jamboree. So what this says is play a five or six game schedule for seating purposes and then go full on Maui Invitational. Where you're doing seeding, round robins, it's a knockout tournament. That could be fun. And Now, that would be exclusively within conferences, or we're talking nationwide? No, this would be within conferences. Yeah, it uses the SEC as an example, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because so. that
1: you could do, I think, within a conference, but you start branching out to where you're traveling across the country. I, I think we all need to accept a little bit of a something here that we could push forward to the spring. But who's to say that we're in any better spot going into well, the spring than and, and we are right now? We if, if, if they had six months to prepare for it now, okay, so you get another six months. Are you going to do anything with that time to set yourself up for better success? Now, I think a scenario like this leads to that. It keeps things a little bit more regional. You know, you look at the Pac-12. See, you could be playing the likes of you know your Arizona schools. There's two there. You got Utah. You got Southern California. You know, it, it allows you to be in a scenario where you're keeping a little bit more to your corner of the world of the country and not having to travel up to Washington, up to Oregon,
0: those sorts of things. Uh, What I thought would have actually worked, this is my idea, is short-term bubbles, right? You do a bubble for like three weeks or a month and then everyone goes back to school, right? You sort of re-quarantine because if everyone's going to school anyway, which by the way, if you've seen any of these pictures of, I saw a picture of the Alabama student uh, uh, body they were lining up to get tickets or something like that. Nobody wearing masks, nobody distancing. They don't care about that in these schools. And honestly, I look back to when I went to college, I don't really blame them. I think if I was, if this would have happened when I was 18, leaving home for the first time, going to college, around all this further, I would have said, COVID? What? Let's party. Well, let's get, you know. And we in Colorado
1: can fool ourselves. And I do think Colorado, compared to a lot of other places uh, around the country, is, is taking a little more seriously. No, I did too. Them. But I happened to be in Boulder last weekend, and, uh, and not much no. different. It's not Th- much different. Those I'm kids. seeing kids everywhere, large groups, people literally showing up in masks, taking them off to <laughs> greet and hug each other. Right? I'm like, y-
0: you're-, you're missing the point here, guys. I CU's uh, Twitter account. I'm like, why do they keep... Uh, why do they keep... You want to bring that back up? There yeah. we go. That's money. Um, Got to work on that setting. I go... Uh, the The... Why do they keep reminding us that you need to wear a mask? Like every day, sees Twitter accounts like wear a mask, wear a mask. But at least they're doing it. There's some colleges out there that are completely ignoring it. But my point is, with all this, college kids aren't going to take the necessary precautions. So I think these players would be much safer in a bubble than they would be uh, on campus around all these other students. Well, with the NFL,
2: you know they're getting tested every single day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any of these other bubbles too? The NBA, right, hockey. Right. Exactly. So, so if we do the same thing with the NCAA, these players aren't going to catch it because they either are testing negative on these tests or. Now, now they're positive, and we can we we, we can pull them. And, oh. and a,
1: a lot of the the pushback you hear from people go, "Well, how are they going to pay for that?" Yeah, I think there's a few boosters at each school that could probably shell out to a, afford all of that. Yeah, <laughs> these
0: I, I love these. There's uh,
1: not enough money for that, yeah, that's yeah, always the excuse: right.
0: too much money. You're not paying sweet, the players. I think you got money to spare. Money. Um, yeah, but that's that. Would, that would be my idea. I mean, I think that would work just fine. You know. Um, Short-term bubbles. Four weeks weeks at a time. Four games at a time. Split it up. Take a couple weeks off, and then we still string it out. They're talking now about pushing it to spring. Why not just do this? You know. So, again, I feel like this should have been on the table. This should have been an option. These but- discussions
1: should have been had in June, in, in May, where you think, okay, if we get to that spot, what are the options that we have? And to your point, maybe there was some of these discussions to be had, and I think part of the problem that you run into with the NCAA is the NCAA is not truly the governing
0: body it needs to be. Right. It's
1: allowing everyone to figure out for themselves and say, yeah, whatever you go with, we're, we're good. We'll, we'll roll with that.
0: Uh, Last uh, recommendation or last thing here on ESPN, have division-only play followed by a 32-team college football playoff. So you're playing in division, and then the top 32 teams overall make it. But it's funny because they use the uh, S&P projections based on the 32 teams of last year, and the 1-32 versus matchup would have been Alabama versus Ohio. So I'm thinking... That may not be the best way to do this. If Ohio's the thirty-second best team according yeah. to those metrics, uh, <laughs> Ohio. Hey, I can name seventy-five teams right now that are better than Ohio <laughs> on the top of my head. So those are the, those are the pros, right? Those are the positives. Those are ways that we can make it work in spring. Not a lot of promising stuff in there, to be honest. And I, I think there is
1: some logistics to that. Some things that. It could work, but, again, so much preparation has to go in, and what faith do you have that, that they're going to actually have things put in place to make it work? And, and again, I think my biggest hang-up with it is half of the country playing now, half of the country it's playing in the bizarre. spring. It's, it's odd. I, I really think it needs to be a unified front on this.
0: Well, here's some reasons why it might not happen. You mentioned one. Top prospects will probably opt out, which really brings down the overall product. I mean, if all the best players are sitting out, what are we really watching? Is it glorified high school football? I mean, you still have players who are on Division One rosters, but everyone who's going to be an NFL player sits out. That's what makes the sport great sometimes, is watching these guys who are great, who are going to be great at the next level. I mean, you can't always tell. I didn't know Philip Lindsay was going to be this good when he was at CU, but you knew there was something special, right. you know? And it was always fun to watch. Him. And I think what you're going to see is
1: even more of a of a gap between the top teams and the middle-tier teams right. because the top teams in Alabama... They lose out their top, say, fifteen guys, twenty guys. Guess what? They got fifteen or twenty five stars ready to step in right behind them. You know, so it's it's one of those things that is going to allow the better teams, the more dominant teams, to be even more dominant. I think
0: you brought up uh, the next point, which is the NFL draft. It's going on during that time. Do you think the draft? Let's say this all gets moved to spring and they do play in spring. The draft would probably alter their. They're, so, uh,
1: per the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL, they can push back as far as
0: June 2nd. And they work pretty closely with the NCAA. Like, they do a good job working with them. It, it, it's uh, it, it's it's sort of like the opposite of the NBA and college basketball, where they're always butting heads. You know, NFL and, and the NCAA really do a good job of working together. And, again, I think
1: that's a scenario with if the entire NCAA pushed to the spring, I don't think the NFL has any choice. I think right. you have to adjust your model. But... Let's be honest, guys. Most of the best players coming out of the SEC, yeah. you know, a lot of good players coming out of the ACC, the Big 12. So, hey, you still get a chance to see, you know, probably what, 60 of your top 100 guys, maybe 60%, 70% of the guys that are going to be on your boards anyways. Yeah, maybe we could just keep keep going through with it. And uh, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate for, for those leagues that have already pulled the plug on it that
0: in that scenario you, you would be in a really bad spot. Uh, this is a point that has not got brought up and it's sort of a, it's an off point. I don't think if everything else worked, this wouldn't be a big deal, but it is something to keep in mind. The weather is terrible during the spring, right? This, uh, this article brings up in, in, in Columbus, Ohio, for instance, the average temperature, uh, compared to, in, in spring compared to winter, it's about 10 to 12 degrees lower. We're talking the dead of winter, you know, football season usually right now it's cold you get the snow games but it's all starting that that winter season and we're all calling it spring but
1: it would be starting early january i think so i'm not sure exactly the dates on what you had said there but yeah you'd you'd be starting early january i mean just think of colorado colorado does not get weather nearly as bad as some areas in the the upper northeast the midwest those places get destroyed year after year and they struggle in december with the amount of weather that they're gonna get i mean even colorado would be be quite a struggle in January, February, March, when you get those huge snowstorms to, to think that you're not going to have a period of time where a game can't happen or whatever that is. And in such a tight time frame, that's hard if you have some issues there.
0: No, exactly. Um, last thing here, but we kind of mentioned it. Uh, how can Mark Emmert say he cares about player safety and then ask the players to play two seasons in one calendar year? Yes. So that's, you know, you're, you're, you're it's it's a lot on the players to play in spring. It is. And it's it's going to be a lot.
1: I, I just don't see a a way that you can realistically make it happen. There's so many odds against you to make that happen. Everything going into 2021 seasons for NCAA, for NFL, everything has to get altered a whole nother year. You, you know, I hate saying this. this. This crushes me to say this, but I do truly believe you're better off in the long term, in the grand scheme of things, to not have a season, than to try to force something that just doesn't fit.
0: I know. I still want to see football though. I know.
1: I just and and, and I just really hope the SEC and these other conferences they, they push it through because I and I say that as push a push it through
0: and mean you mean mean play. Keep playing, yeah. 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 But I, I still
1: I, I still am so reserved um, in, in thinking that they're gonna make this happen. And yes, it is a part of the country where it's it's gonna be hard to pull that plug, but at a certain point or another, I, I think if things don't continue to get
0: better, they may start a season. Right. I don't right. know if they're going to finish the season. As I said, we're going to get to CU for a lot of CU stuff. We have so many CU. As a matter of fact, throughout the year, we're going to have some fun. We're going to do like the top 10 CU teams of all time, Right talk about the best CU teams in the history of the uh, school, the best jerseys of all time, the best helmets of all time, you know, all this stuff. So we have you know, co- coaches, all that stuff. So we're going to do uh, so much you know regarding the buffs. But this first podcast, we have to talk some of this national stuff. So I just want to remind everyone that, you know, if you're looking for the hardcore buff stuff, we'll talk a little bit of it on this podcast to, to wrap things up. But stay tuned. In a couple weeks, it's going to be nothing but CU from this point on. But we do have to talk about some of this stuff. It's important. It's going on nationally. And it, it does affect the buffs. Even though it's not necessarily CU news, all this impacts CU. And this is one that I was thinking about what are the the new transfer rules the 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 recruiting you know what's being done because I know the NCAA has continued its suspension of all in-person recruiting through September 30th so we're looking at another month plus that coaches can't do anything in person different rules have been approved for the d2 level and the NCAA also grants a, a extra year excuse me of eligibility to seniors but the impact of what's happening now, they can only talk via uh, electronics, you know, direct messages, text messages, Twitter, things like that. This changes recruiting drastically. I mean, it helps some schools and it hurts other schools. And I think the fact that the Pac-12 is sitting out, it, it's, it's, it's probably case by case. You know, some students uh, who, are, who are looking to go to CU, I think it's all about what the parents say, what the feeling is. You know, I think, I'm think i sure there's a lot of parents out there who hate that the Pac-12 is not playing. But there's also probably a lot of parents out there who think it's a good decision. So that's probably more case-by-case. I don't necessarily think in general it's going to help or hurt one other conference. What do you think? I got to think that... From a parent's
1: standpoint, um, sure you're gonna have the extreme parents that they are just diehard football people. They they bred their kid to play football, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what he was born to do. Sure, you're gonna have some of those, but I I gotta think a vast majority of parents are going to side with the player safety, side with the programs that were, you know, not you know the the, the conference is not playing and so I think if you're if you're going back and forth it it, kind of goes back to that same argument if you end up being the conference that was wrong which direction would you rather be wrong in and taking care of care of your players I think goes a long way for parents
0: the one-time transfer exception as it's currently written and and again Maybe they're shifting things around for this year. I couldn't find any differences. So if you guys know, let us know. Uh, There's several ways to contact the show. Follow us on Twitter at Buffs Podcast. You can email me, Tyler, at BuffsNation.com. Email Jared, Jared, at BuffsNation.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tyler Walgie. You know, there's a lot of ways to contact us, contact the show. Uh, Give out your individual Twitter as well, Jared. Yeah,
1: so I'm I'm at Jared All, which is spelled about as weird as you can get J A R R E D A H L. So
0: uh, if you want to contact us, you know, there's a lot of ways to do so. And if you do know the transfer rules or find them, certainly send those over and we'll include it on the next podcast. But I believe it's the same transfer rules now. than than it has been. And they're written like this. If you transfer from a four-year school, you may be immediately eligible to compete at your new school. If you meet all of the following conditions, you are transferring to a division two, three, uh, two or three school, or you are division. You are transferring to a division one school in any other sport than baseball, men's or women's basketball, football, uh, men's ice hockey. And, um, uh the beeping right now we're gonna take a qu- look folks first day in the studio we're gonna figure some of this out we're taking a quick break and uh we'll be right back on the Boston nation podcast all right, looks like we are uh, back. That was uh, interesting. First time first time in the studio. You never know what's going to happen with these cameras. Yeah, just know. Glitch in the Matrix. Exactly. Exactly. Good time for a read, though. This is a Woo's, a Woo's Media podcast. Check them out online, W O O Z E Media.com. And what they do great, obviously, they have several podcasts, but they are the leaders in digital marketing today. So if you own a business, know anyone who owns a business, and want to get online, uh, contact them, w-o-o-z-e-media.com. Follow them on Twitter at Woo's Media. Uh, They're great with online marketing. So, all right, let's get back into it. Uh, one year transfer exception. Um, I think it was reading the rules when that yeah, whole thing yeah, yes, happened. A yes. uh, one-time transfer exception. You can transfer if you meet all the following criteria. You're transferring to a Division two II or three school or Division one school and you're not playing baseball, basketball, or football, or uh, men's ice hockey. So that's the first one, not eligible for football Uh, and then the other the others are your academic academically and athletically eligible, and you can receive a transfer release from your old school. So I haven't found anything. And that, you know,
1: they've, there's been the caveat the last few years that if you you can have a legitimate exemption, you know, legitimate reason why you needed to leave your school, which uh, you know we've seen with a lot of a lot of people in the last few years. Uh, I'm, I'm slipping on Justin Fields to Ohio State. Some other guys like that have been able to play immediately when they arrived on campus, and a lot of people figure, oh, okay, well this would be a very legitimate reason the PAX 12 is not playing, you would think that'd be a very legitimate reason to transfer to an Alabama to anything like that, but but it's not because there's still the talk of the spring season and I actually in in part think that's part of why they are continuing to have that as an open option is because you can't say that you're not having a season this year. You're just not having it right now. Right. So, so players, as as far as I know, and I'm kind of with you, and I, I think everyone's in this boat, and I'd love to hear if anyone out there is seeing or hearing anything definitive come out from the NCAA, I think they're mum on this right now. I don't think they're talking about it at all because I don't think they know exactly what's going on or how they're going to handle it if somebody does try to push that boundary. I think you're kind of stuck
0: right now. Yeah, I do too, unfortunately. I mean, I think that that's pretty much it. Uh, well, Fortunately for everyone yeah, involved, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. So that does it for a lot of the national talk. You know, I think moving to spring could be an option for the Pac-12. Um, we don't know about the, these other schools who are playing right now, but. You know, I think it's it's a mess. They could have done a lot of a, a lot better job. And right now, looking forward, it's all up in the air. I believe they're kind of going week by week. They don't know what the heck they're going to do. They're just seeing what next Monday entails, and that's what uh, that's what it's going to be. So, we just talked about recruiting, how it's going to help some schools. Well, maybe help some schools, maybe other. I think we both landed on. It's probably up to the parents. But let's take a look at CU's recruiting. See a couple big players who are coming in in the 2021 class because this is Carl Durrell's first class. And I think he's doing a good job with the circumstances. You don't really know uh, how well he would be doing if it weren't for COVID or anything like that. But right now, CU has 13 commits, 12 of them are three stars, according to 247sports.com. That puts CU ninth in the Pac-12. 66th in the country. How do you feel about those ratings? You know, from a numbers game, that's
1: not that's not great. I mean, last year they ended 7th in the Pac-12, 36 nationally. So it, you hear that and you go, ooh, that, they're not doing so good. But, Keep that in mind that this is early on in the process. CU landed a lot of those commitments late in the process last year, and so that number really jumped up for them. They're actually about on par with where they were last year with Mel Tucker as a head coach, which we all know that was a strong suit of Mel Tucker. All the things that we can say about him and and how much at least myself hates that man now moving forward and the things that he did to to end his time with the Buffs he recruited well. Yeah. And so to see Carl Dorrell come in and it seems to me like we're pretty well on par with with what uh, Mel Tucker was doing last year. So there's some names that I like. I would love to see a few guys above that 3-star level starting to get a little bit more interested. I think that they are in discussions. They're in 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 the, you know, the top 10s for a lot of 4-star guys, but I really would love to
0: see them land a couple of big-time recruits. I would too. I mean, there's two sides to this. First, there's a lot of three stars who turn out to be really good players. And I'm not... Levis Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of, oh, no four stars, no talent. So that's the first thing. But also, it is nice to get those four or five stars in there. And we did start to see that and get a taste of that with Mel Tucker. So... It would be nice to see more of those guys on the board, not this year, but there are some exciting players to talk about. We're going to highlight three on today's show. Let's start off talking about in-state product, Eric Olson. He's a tight end out of Heritage. Uh, Obviously, all these guys are graduating in 2021, so they are juniors this year. And uh, for the Juco player we're going to be talking about, this is his final year at his uh, junior college. Um, Eric Olson, senior at Heritage High School in uh, Littleton, Colorado. First two years that he's played for varsity, he's had a great outcome. 53 catches, 11 touchdowns his sophomore and junior year. I'm excited to see this kid at, uh, at uh, CU. He brings a lot of excitement. And look, we kind of understand that high school area. To, uh, uh, just to let everyone know, we kind of grew up, all, all, all three of us, sort of in that area um we're we know heritage football. We know a lot about the program. I'm excited for this tight end. He's big, he's got size, that's exactly what you need. And seemingly this offense that Carl Durrell is going to implement. Yeah, something you're going to hear
1: me talk a lot about with all three of these guys is size, size, size. This guy's 6'5", 230 pounds, and he's 17 years old. So you can only imagine what that body's going to fill out like. And and uh, he moves well. I think that's something that's important, um, and, and I know that that's something that I think we're going to see from Carl Durrell on this offense is utilizing the tight end, both as a blocker but also in the passing game. Right. So I'm really excited to see what Eric Olson can bring.
0: Uh, The second player, Tyus Martin. I'm really excited about Tyus Martin. He is a D-tackle out of Jacksonville, Arkansas. Um, He was—real quick, Ryan, are you uh, recording the screen? Is everything uh, being—okay, good. Um, He is a D-tackle, specifically nose tackle, okay? Okay. He played nothing but nose tackle in in high school, and this is one of those big dudes who can eat up blockers, but also he looks athletic enough to where he can get in the backfield and do some damage. I think that we're going to use him in somewhat of the same role. Look, you usually don't bring guys like this in who have played nose tackle, who understand the nose tackle position, and then put him at D end, right? I think that he's just... Again, he looks pretty athletic, but I'm not so sure that's his position. So we're gonna you know we're gonna run some highlights right now and show it. but I, I think that there's a lot of excitement around this kid. And um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think if we just look back at the recent years with the Buffs, I think they're at their best when they have that just massive man, mountain of a man in the middle of the defense, just eating up blocks. You look at Javier Edwards, the last couple of years has been that guy. And I am just desperately slipping on the name of uh, the the guy that was there before him. And Ryan, I'm looking at you because I know you know your names. Who was that nose tackle they had for... uh, Josh Tupo? Tupo, yes. And he was a beast in the middle. And so I I, I think this is what you need in, in, in this uh, defense right now. Yeah, I'm excited about that, man. And, and, and you, you look at some of these clips, man. He's got three guys taking him on right there. And, yeah, yeah. he doesn't make the play. But look what that does. It opens up those ends one-on-ones, Nobody's ever stopping them, and even there, he's 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 eating into some of those blocks to get guys in the backfield as well. So very excited to see what Tyus uh, brings to this uh, this Buffs team.
0: No, definitely, um, he's gonna be a big help on the D line. So uh, last player here, Trustin Oliver, uh, and these are all commits. I mean, they've all committed. They're hard commits. They're coming to Boulder, uh, JUCO transfer Trustin Oliver. I don't know about you, Jared, but I trust in Oliver. Uh, he is a safety at Iowa Western Community <laughs> he, uh, you've, been, you've just been sitting on that one for like two weeks now, haven't you? <laughs> uh, Trust. he's actually from Parker, Colorado. Yeah. He went to uh, Legacy High, or excuse me, Legend High School, uh, went to play. He, so here's a little story about this guy. Not sure how many of you have heard of Trustin' Oliver before, but for those who follow recruiting, we've known his name now for a while. The reason is. He was a member of CU's 2019 recruiting class before he ended up being academically ineligible, right? He committed to play with Mel Tucker. He went, he was the uh, 14th best player in Colorado, according to ESPN, and he did originally commit to the Buffs. Other schools who were recruiting him originally were BYU and Utah, okay? He then goes to play at, uh, where is it? Uh, uh, Iowa Western. Iowa Western Community College, learns, he's he's a player, and he starts to get recruited by Oregon, Okay. Says no to the Ducks. Wants to come back home, play for CU, play for the Buffs. I love this. You know, it didn't matter that Carl Durrell is now the head coach. It didn't matter that Oregon was sniffing him out. He wanted to come play at home, and I I like. First of all, he wants wanted to come back and play in Colorado, obviously. But even more, I like that he was academically ineligible, and he busted his butt to do what it took to get back to the school he wanted to go to. He could have said. I'm done. He could have said, screw them. He could have said, okay, now that I've played in getting recruited by schools like Oregon, I'm going to go there. No, he had a goal. He did what he needed to do. And he accomplished that goal, man. He's coming back to, to see you. I am so happy for the kid. And I hope he's a good safety because we need him. Yeah, and I, I think you're going to see a kid that comes in hungry, somebody yeah. that understands
1: the opportunity he has, and something he didn't know if he would have for a period of time. And so I think getting that opportunity, he's going to be the type of kid that will come in and take advantage of that of everything that he gets. And and another guy, another big guy, uh, listed at six foot four, two hundred and fifty yeah. fifteen yeah. pounds. You don't see safeties like that. No, you exactly. really, really
0: don't. I do want to take back what I said, though. We don't need him right now. I think we're fine with Rakestraw, uh, Mark Perry. But hey,
1: those guys are going to be coming along in the next couple of years. You yeah. always need depth there. I mean, the, the Buffs have lost a lot in the secondary. Year after year, you, you have guys getting drafted. You have guys going out into the NFL. In fact, one of the few positions for the Buffs that have consistently been putting out draft picks over the last, say, six years or so, Cheeto Awuzie and some of the other guys that you got on the back Isaiah end of Isaiah Oliver. Isaiah Oliver has been up there. So I do think that that's a, a position that you've turned over quite a bit, so you always need that depth to come in.
0: Yeah, this year the depth chart's looking like uh, the starter's going to be KJ Trujillo and uh, Chris Miller, but watch out because behind Chris Miller and Blackman, he got some good snaps last year. I was, I was actually impressed. Look. You're not going to... Obviously, cornerback, we all know, every play is not going to be a home run. But I was very impressed with the Kai Blackman last year. Really, everyone who who I just mentioned. But we we are deeper than I think a lot of CU fans want to give us credit for at the secondary position. We've got a lot of guys who have experience. Uh, But it's minimal experience, and that's the thing. A lot of guys that got...
1: You know, partial seasons last year, starters. I don't. I think there's very few guys that have played full seasons as a starter. So it, it's a matter of how much can they build off of the success that they've had in the past. And 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 a, another position group. And to kind of to touch back on some of our talks earlier about uh, you know the Pac-12 not playing this year. You want to get specific to CU. I think this could be the best thing for CU to have this opportunity for this coaching staff to work over the entire season here. What would have been the season with these guys instead of you figure Carl Durrell, man. He had very limited time to even get to know his players, anything like that beforehand. So as much as I hate seeing it as a CU fan, I wanted to see him play this year. This could be good for them to get to to know the systems better and get to have these guys get more experience on the practice field. Let's talk about Carl Durrell.
0: You know, we're obviously going to go into much more depth in in the upcoming shows, but he was asked what he thinks of this whole situation, and I liked his responses. First of all, a lot of it is coach speak. I understand that, right? I always laugh when, when hosts get on shows and go, I love that our coach said he's ready to play. It's like, what else do you think he's going to say? You know? <laughs> but we, I, were, we were hoping they'd shut it down. We did that, not think we had a chance this but, year. But it's different, okay? Because when, you're, when it's your first year on campus, you have to set a tone. And this year, there's no games to set a tone. They can't even practice with pads on right now. So what else do you have left? Let's, let's, let's have the attitude, of being winners, being aggressive, going out there, getting the job done. I love how hungry he said. How hungry the players are coming across. I mean, they they want to go out there and play, obviously, right? But I love the message. There's a lot of different messages coming out from different schools. I heard uh, I was watching an interview on, I think it was the Pac-12 Facebook page with uh, one of uh, Utah's assistant coaches. He's like, yeah, you know, the the virus, and again, maybe the pressure from Utah. I'm not so sure, but it's like that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, want to go out there and play football no matter what. Like that's the attitude that you want to hear. So I love what he's saying, what the players are saying, and they're still practicing, you know, no pads, helmets only. So the players are out there. And frankly, based on our Twitter and our Facebook, man, fans are pissed, you know, fans. And again, I don't want to make this political, but it seems like about eight out of 10 fans are like, mad with this whole decision. They well, want to see football. And I think it makes it so much harder when you're looking around the country and other places are doing well, it. Well, it makes it harder when the Buffs are practicing. Yes. They're, they're Everyone's practicing, on campus. They're around they're, each other. Yeah. On ca- it's like, what? at what point does this become, you know, funny or, or or silly? When we look back on it years from now, then, then it'll be appropriate to laugh at it. I just think <laughs> it's like all these establishments, including colleges, are now coming up with these rules that are, don't make a lot of sense. Like I love how restaurants got to stay six feet apart. You can't talk to, but then they allow tables of like 12 people to sit together. If you're in the same group, it's like, wait a minute here, what's going on? You know? So anyway, um, Carl Durrell, the players, they're hungry. They're ready to go. I like what I'm hearing. Uh, there, there aren't many issues right now with the program, but I think it goes back to what we said earlier. It's so much about the fan base and where you are. And, and Carl Durrell did say that he totally understands not playing. He gets what the issues are. Um, and, and and he was very accepting compared to other coaches. I mean, I've seen big 10 sec coaches, you know, Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence, are making the rounds right now saying we better play carl Durrell. much different message than other coaches so do you like that do you want him to push back more do you you know how do you feel about that you know it's it's
1: kind of tough because i i do think again i i side much more on the side of of be smart you you got to take care of these kids you got to do what's right for for these these players these organizations and and for our country but yeah, you know, if I'm being honest as a fan, I, I think I probably would like to see a little more fire and say, hey, you know what? We worked really, really hard to be ready for, to play for this. We've dealt with, you know, all these issues and and, and, and man, we really feel we can control a scenario where we could be out there playing and you know, he I, I, I do think in, in part he is saving face a little bit, I think, to what we talked about and, and how you appeal to parents and recruiting and things like that. I think some of these comments do play into that to yeah. say, hey, you know, I get it. We understand it. We're on board with what they're saying. We're gonna we're gonna buy into what the Pac-12 is saying because uh, you're not accomplishing anything by coming out and being super contradictory and and everything you put onto social media is is you you know complaining about what your your conference is doing, and how you didn't get a vote, and you didn't get a say, and uh, that's what you're seeing a lot out of a lot of Big Ten schools. You're not seeing that a ton out of the Pac-12 schools, but you know I, I'd love to see a little more fire out of Doral. I think sometimes.
0: Well, like I said, they are practicing only helmets, and Carl Durrell's implementing what he wants his offense to look like. Now they're going to keep a lot of elements. Obviously, Darren Cheverini still, you know, bringing a lot of what they used to like to do. And,
1: and uh, I believe Cheverini is going to be the one calling plays. Am I correct? No, no,
0: that? no. Yeah, definitely. But but I think that it still helps. And what we're going to do right now is go back and look and see. What Carl Durrell did in the past as an offensive coordinator, he's not going to be hands-off. He's not going to say, there's a key, Shiv, you know, I'll, I'll watch from the sidelines. It's going to be a collaborative effort. Now, he's giving the respect that Chivarini deserves, in my opinion. He knows the team. He's a good play caller. But there will be Carl Durrell's fingerprints on this team for sure. Well, and keep in mind, uh, who was Cheverini's coach, offensive
1: coordinator when he was at CU? Carl Durell, yeah, so, yeah, you it, know, so he he they, the two of them, I,
0: I got to think a lot of their philosophies are going to intertwine anyways. Yeah, Carl Durrell was an assistant offensive coordinator ninety five to ninety eight with CU, and then he was uh, offensive coordinator with Washington nineteen ninety nine. Then he had fifteen years off. So what we're going to do today is look at the 2014 Vanderbilt season, because that's the last time he was calling plays. He was the offensive coordinator. He's
1: been a a, a receiver and quarterback coach, mostly in the NFL level outside
0: of that. So the 2014 Vanderbilt team, I didn't see a whole lot that really jumped off the page, to be honest, but there are some red flags. Now, first of all, he runs a pro-style offense. Not sure how much of that's going to convert to what we see, so that's the first thing. But also, it's tough to get offensive production when you have four quarterbacks who have thrown over 65 passes, which is what Vanderbilt had in 2014. They had four guys, so I don't know, and I didn't do enough Vanderbilt 2014 research to know whether it was uh, injury-driven, hopefully, Carl Drell wasn't juggling these guys and just putting them in with a short leash, but I digress. No matter what the cause is, if you got four quarterbacks... I think the offensive coordinator gets a bit of a pass for that season, and I'm not trying to be soft on him. I'm not doing this just because I'm a Buffs fan, but how can you accurately judge anybody if they're using four different quarterbacks during, during a, uh, any given season?
2: Uh, they finished with a three and nine record and averaged seventeen points a game. Yeah,
0: so, that that's not great, you know. And and I know the defense wasn't tremendous back then, so it's not like they were helping the offense out. It's probably talent level. Yeah, uh, I was I just gonna say Vanderbilt. What are the ACC? Is that no? That's SEC. SEC man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's SEC. Good luck. I know, right? But <laughs> but look, it's, it's, it's worth noting, you know, that they use all those different quarterbacks. Pretty balanced offense. They ran the ball 383 times. They threw the ball 357, so he was pretty balanced. But again, I, look, I, there's not a whole lot we're going to take away from that 2014 Vanderbilt team, but I was just looking through, you know, some of the stats because that's – when you're trying to evaluate what we're going to see, I think that this, this being the Vanderbilt 2014 uh, team – is a better indication than his NFL teams. Right. And a lot of that too as as a receiver coach as a as a quarterback
1: coach. You you're again, you're not necessarily super involved with the philosophical approach of the offense, you know. Right. You may be a wide receiver coach on the the Baltimore Ravens right now. And you could be the best wide receiver coach in the world, but it doesn't mean they're going to start throwing the ball 50 times a game. The Baltimore Ravens are going to run the ball. And so it, it, as far as his influence on the team, when you're in that coordinator position, you have obviously the, the, the control of how that offense looks. <sighs>
0: Good for show, Jerry. That was good. You know, it felt good to get back in here. Stretch the old hammies out a little bit. It's been a little (laughs) bit weird, though, because, like,
1: normally as you lead up to the season this time of year, and we were talking about this before we were on air today, that it's been hard to get excited, you know, because it's like just so much negativity out there. So much bad news after bad news after bad news. So when we finally got the chance to get in the studio today, it's like that first rush of adrenaline comes in, the excitement. And it, I guess it is a little bit of a tease because it usually leads into that weekend we get to watch the first Buffs game. Right. And, uh, you know, don't get to do that this year. But I look forward to having a lot of fun on here. I, I'm actually really excited about the opportunity to dive deeper on some things. That yeah. you, don't, you know, a lot of times you just end up week to week kind of reacting to what's happening, talk about what's coming up the next week. And so it limits the amount of, of depth to the talking that you get to have. We get to talk about some of the history of CU. A lot of fans don't know about that history. You know, a lot of a lot of people are our age. You know, in their in their thirties, and they remember the the, the early two thousands. You know, the late nineties, but they don't maybe maybe remember the McCartney days and and some of the stuff before that. So it will be fun to talk about that and really dive deep into some of those things.
0: Absolutely, man. Stay tuned. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Buffs Podcast. Like Jared said, a lot of fun coming up. Uh, we, we'll do you know things with this team next week or two weeks from now. I guess next show we're going to be talking about the quarterback battle, maybe a little bit deeper on the uh, on the. A depth chart, and um, you know, like a, uh, historical things, best jerseys, best teams of all time. So much buffs content coming up this season. So stay tuned, folks. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Let's go, buffs! This has been the Buffs Nation Podcast.